What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. This is a podcast about generational wealth, finance, and business. And before we introduce today's guest, my man, Eric, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday spotlight? Thank you, Corey, for the introduction. For Black History, Congress decided to count, well, they did crack down on civil rights for Blacks. Um, Congress readmitted North Carolina, South Carolina, Louisiana, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida uh, on the condition that the Constitution said states should never amend or should make any kind of changes that should deprive any citizen or class of citizens of the United States of the right to vote in these said states who are entitled to vote by the Constitution, therefore, Henry and recognize, end of quote. Also, my little my little uh, nugget I like to leave um, for us for Black Men Sunday. Uh, next time you see a tall black boy, tell him he looks like an entrepreneur, an attorney, an influencer, an analyst, an accountant, a CEO. Not just tell him he's just a ball player because black boys can excel at all things, not just sports. That's my tidbit for Black Men Sunday. Thank you, Eric, for that Black Men Sunday history spotlight. And remember, we do a Black Men Sunday spotlight every Sunday. Now let's go on to introduce our guest. His brother has 15 years in financial services. We're talking about a life insurance agent. We're talking about a financial advisor. This brother's a loan officer. Yeah, so you're trying to buy them houses. This brother can get you approved or denied. That's what that's what we're doing today. This brother's also a mortgage broker. This brother has a BAS, an organizational management. That's called business, in case y'all don't know that. Con- Rado Martinez, welcome to Black Men Sundays, brother. How you doing? Thank you, Corey. Doing really well. Really great to be here. Really, since I started hearing you, I'm a fan, bro. I'm a fan of what you guys got going on. I think a lot of things parallel with what I'm, I'm working with as far as um, getting the message out to our, our people, uh, the importance of finance. And um, I'm a proponent that uh, a believer of this phrase that said, money touches everything. So, you know, show me your money and I'll show you your life. So. I'm glad to be a contributor here and uh, really share my story with you guys. All right. Well, let's get right in, man. You know, we've had other financial advisors on here. We've had, but we haven't had a mortgage broker on here. So that's what, that's what this game going to change today. And a loan officer at that. So we want to dive right in because brothers are always asking, hey, man, I'm trying to get approved. I'm trying to buy this property. If I already have a property, I'm trying to get another property. And in some cases, brothers are pooling their money together to get properties. So we want to touch on those topics right away. So let's dive right in. I mean, inflation is really high right now. Is it even smart to buy a property with the prices so inflated? You know, I think it goes to the question as far as when is the right time to buy? And uh, the answer is right now. I mean, when it comes to timing the market and trying to understand what's going on, Especially, I like to put it to a comparison as far as if it's rental versus you're renting a home versus owning a home. There are so many benefits in owning a home. And I've heard the different um, perspectives as far as uh, Grant Cardone and different people as far as saying it's smarter to do X versus Y. Um, I think at the end of the day, it boils down to me as far as having equity and not having equity. Meaning that if you're stuck, if you're in a home, the place where you live and you're paying into it and you're not receiving anything in the, at the back end, meaning you're not paying into it in the sense that it's growing for you, 
you're paying for someone else to, to, to pay off their mortgage on that property, that's not a, a, a situation where it where, uh, leads to growth. Um, I believe that the, the purchase of a home is one of the foundations of real wealth building. Everything starts with that. If, you're in, if you don't have your home and you don't, have, uh, you don't own the, the, the property that, uh, that you live in, or, or own a different or assess a property, I, I think you're setting off on the wrong foundation. Um, and we could go into that as far as details, as far as why. Yeah, let's go. So first of all, um, I, I believe, especially in our, in our community, there is a, a reluctance. And really a lot of it is because of not knowing the, the, the systems, not knowing um, the terrain. Um, recently, I was talking to uh, a sister of mine. I was telling her, look, no matter what the terrain is, you have to be able to have a strategy to win. And I believe that when it comes to the financial terrain, specifically when it comes to the mortgages, the more we understand what we're dealing with, the more you mentioned key terms like inflation and high interest rates, right? This is a situation that we haven't experienced in over 40 years, uh, high interest rates and inflation at the same time. This has been since early 80s, late 70s that we were dealing with this situation. But as as uh, the old saying says, things are bound to repeat themselves. So prior to this situation, I kind of I, I kind of anticipated it, uh, this this happening because uh, when you look at the factors of what causes inflation, many of it is government spending and a lot of liquidity or money being pumped into the uh, the economy. Uh, consequently, that's what occurred not only during COVID but even before COVID. You had the ta- the Trump tax. Uh, cut that for the first time cut the the corporate tax, which was huge in my opinion, as far as allowing liquidity to be out there for businesses and, and individuals as well. But now that we're in this situation, the, the, the play then as far as um, as far as having uh, uh, an inflationary situation was to buy to buy assets, but really buy debt. Because the thing about debt is that it stays the same. Like for example, you, you let's say you would have purchased a home a year ago, two years ago at 3%, 2% during COVID, it was in the mid twos for a while. That's a fixed rate. And going back to, particularly to the question that you answered, that you mentioned is that when you, when you buy a home, that payment stays the same until you pay off the home, especially if it's, it's fixed. And majority of the loans out there are fixed, are fixed fixed rate loans anyway. The appetite by the consumers are fixed rate loans. So regardless of what happens, your your payment is going to be the same outside of taxes and insurance, which go up from time to time. Now, if you're renting, what what do you think is going on right now? I mean, we already have here in Florida, we have a housing shortage, but also you have rents going up dramatically to keep up with inflation. Now, if you are locked into a, a, a loan, uh, with a fixed rate, you're, that that payment is going to stay the same. So that alone answers the question as far as rental versus owning a home. Now, the other dynamics of it as far as we spoke of equity, right? The way I share with my clients when it comes to this, it's like whenever you make a payment on your mortgage, it's like making a payment to yourself. You're depositing into your own piggy bank, as a, a, if I can say that. Uh, it's your equity that's, that it's it's increasing because the liability, the part that you owe on your home is decreasing. So whether the price of the home is going up or down, you're increasing equity on that home. 
Uh, whereas if you're renting, you're not increasing any equity stake at all. Um, so those two main reasons are reasons why for me that you should um, buy versus rent. Now, the, the stuff that comes in between the obstacles that, that are faced, I think sometimes it's just a lack of information, um, which creates fear. And I think part of this is to be able to share information in the show as far as to dispel that and to say, well, if you prepare and if you know, if you connect with someone that knows what they're doing and if you know what you're doing, that these things can be, you can put yourself in a better situation, i.e. owning a home versus renting. Gotcha. And let's talk about, because you mentioned, you know, when I brought up, uh, it's a smart to buy a property now with the inflation, you said now is the time. So with that in mind, do you believe that the prices are con are going to continue to go up or do you believe in the fall they're going to crash because i've heard i've spoken to several analysts some believe it's just going to keep skyrocketing but then there's a couple that believe no by the time october comes it's going to dip so i just want your take on that especially now where a lot of brothers are having the income and they're wanting to buy but you know the properties are overpriced compared to you know, 2019 to 2021 prices. But um, if you can touch on that for us. When it comes to time in the market, you know, it's like, it's, you got to look at the, the, the foundation of, 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 of what you're dealing with. Um, so you start off with the foundation. Is it better to be subjected to increasing rentals or buying a home right now? And I, I speak to a lot of uh, people, especially young people that are doing, are buying their first home. Um, and, you know, you want to be in a situation where you control at least this element of your finances, and that is have it set when it comes to um, um, your owning a home. Now, there's two components in that, and there's, there's investing and there's your own home. So when it comes to your own home, the, you're always in a situation where now is the time to get your home, meaning that whatever it comes, whether, whether prices go down 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 the road there are other factors that come with that uh, as far as um you for example if prices go down it may create a situation where there's a recession and there's unemployment and you won't qualify for a loan so in a situation if you're able to get into a a, a position where you can make a decision and you can execute on purchasing i believe that now is a time better always always it's always better to, to do it now versus down than than trying to time the market. Um, with that being said, investing is another dynamic. You know, I believe that when it comes to um, if you're investing, the best time to invest is when you buy low and you sell high. We know that right now that um, prices are high, but what we don't know is why are prices really high because of the supply chain dynamic? Um, are prices really high because of inflation? Because those are the things that are factors that may need to be settled. So if I'm investing my money, I'm kind of on the sidelines waiting to see that consolidation and see if real estate is where I want to invest in uh, personally when it comes to if it's my money. But outside of that, uh, if it's for owning your home, that's a different dynamic. I believe that if you're, if you're in a rental situation right now and you are paying for someone else's payment and you're paying for someone else's equity increase, you should always, now's the time to buy a home because there's always contingencies you could do to correct. If, if rates go down, you could refinance. And if, if prices go down, you would have saved money in the time as far as going into and paying equity within the time that you lost. The same question was posed by many people 
during COVID or prior to COVID. They were saying, oh, should I take advantage of this now? But look look at what they had to face in, in, in retrospect. In some cases, prices have doubled since then. Since at least everywhere I live, prices have doubled. Um, your $300,000 home is $600,000. So if they were on the sidelines, it's cost them that much. Now, do we know that this is gonna continue to go up? We don't know. So that being said, if you're trying to uh, own your home or you don't have a home, I think now is the time to do it and get that under your belt and be able to adjust to whatever whatever the other conditions come after that. Okay, and let's uh, take it a step further. You know, you being a loan officer, um, you know, that means you're the guy that, you know, once we get past the initial salesman, you're the guy in the office with that nice cushy pushback chair. So we got to holler at you, man. So, you know, us being black men, um, for the brothers that already own the property that are either looking to buy a second property on their own or want to go in like other groups and we may have four or five guys buy a property together. All the brothers have good credit. What factors are needed um, that will, that once our paperwork comes to you, we're getting approved instead of denied? Very good question. Um, when it comes to uh, the the investment side, there's a different criteria that, that, that come into play. Um, there's a term called DSCR, that's the debt servicing covering, coverage ratio. So when it comes to a property, that, that term applies to the ability for, or the ratio as far as how much rental income is coming in and what's gonna be the actual payment. So for the most part, this is what lenders are looking for um, in the investment um, property. Even the appraisal is different for uh, an investment property. So you look, you want to identify a property that's going to generate a positive cash flow, meaning that whatever the payment you're looking to do, whatever home you're looking to purchase, that the rentals exceed the um, the the actual payment. Now, after that, if your if your credit is over 700, even better. I mentioned the debt service coverage ratio component because this offsets a lot of the, the, the income requirements because when you're trying to acquire a property, um, there are three things they're going to look at. They're going to look at, and these are the, the three broader, broader categories. They're going to look at your credit. You know, you're a credit, credit, credit worthy person. They're gonna, then they're going to look at your income, right? Do you have the money? Does your debt to income uh, fall into the ratios that they deem, which uh, unconventional, it's 43%. Um, and on uh, FHA, uh, it's 57%. Uh, and, and so is VA as well, 57%. So you have the income component. The last dynamic of qualifying is the actual property. Is the property in good condition? Uh, does it appraise for what the value of the loan is? So these are the elements. And there's other checklists, depending on what program you're using or, what, or who's your lender and what they're asking for that pertains to that. These three components are gonna be the general components that, that will pretty much dictate whether you are accepted or not. So if your credit is good, you know, it's a lot of these uh, companies are 620 or over, they're working with that. But the lower, the closer you are to 620, as far as your credit score, the more issues you're gonna have. Typically, you want a, a buyer uh, over 700 especially when it comes to investment homes, because with that credit number, uh, many times, depending on who your lender is, see, I'm a broker, meaning that I have different lenders that I shop 
the loans too. And there's different requirements. Each house or each lender has a different um, a formula algorithm of, 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 of really approving a loan. Because at the end of the day, it's their money. They're saying, they're determining whether this is a loan, good loan for them or not. So when it comes to the 700, 700 scores, of, they tend to, in investment properties, have a lower down payment requirement. Some lenders are um, as low as 10% on an investment property instead of your typical 20%, 25%. So if your credit is under that, you may be seeing um, a requirement of, of your down payment to be at 25, 20 to 25% thresholds. So, which means more cash that you're putting out in the investment and what also means is less return on your cash because you're putting more cash on the property to get whatever the rental is, whatever the cash flow or, or profit is from that property. So credit is huge. Um, and the, the income component is when it comes to the debt servicing coverage ratio that I mentioned, this comes into the equation to uh, offset whatever income um, or DTI dynamics that, that, that exists in making that decision. So someone may say personally, and this is to the person who may, look, may be looking to invest, they may say to themselves, you know, I have the down payment and my credit is good, but I don't necessarily have the income. And my, my, my answer to them would be, well, that is not just, there's more, more parts of the equation than just your income. So if it's an investment property and there's, there's, there's uh, it's, it's, it's being rented or it's gonna be rented, there is calculations and there's information as a database that tells them what will be the rental for that, for that location. And they take that into consideration in determining whether you qualify or not, not just your personal, um, your personal uh, debt to income uh, dynamics. Got you. And, and the reason why I asked you about the, you know, multiple brothers owning properties, like like when you see with other races, um, they own properties together, you know. So, you know, if you're in a situation, and that's my next question, if you're in a situation to where you're like, okay, I have us over 700 credit score, but the property that I'm looking to invest in, I don't want to, um, I don't want to get a mortgage on it. I'd rather pay cash on it. And because I don't have enough to pay cash, I'm going to talk to some of my brothers to see if they can, you know, invest some cash as well. Um, so I was going to say, as far as building wealth from that perspective, what's your intake on that as far as, you know, cause we always talk about building um, individually. You know, when I look at brothers, I feel like we always have this competitive spirit of building. I'm doing this. Okay. You're doing this. I'm trying to do what you're doing, or I'm trying to outdo you. But what I'm talking about is trying to build wealth together, getting a nice property. Um, but, you know, instead of it all just being on one person, you know, you wouldn't have some other brothers add some of their income to that. Just, just what's your thoughts on that overall though? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it kind of brings, brings, introduces a concept that's greater than just the mortgages. I think, especially with our community as black men, um, we need this, this mentality, this mindset to really permeate our thinking and for us to be successful. Um, one, th I say two things. One is that life is a team sport. It's not, you're not, if you, if you think that you're out there on your own, this is Michael Jordan against the whole team. Th that's not true. Your life is a team sport. It involves being interdependent and working with others. 
And the more we can exercise that muscle as far as working with each other, I think the greater the success will be. For me, in my, in my life, it's, that's been um, one of the pathways to, 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 to rapid growth and, and, and any success in my life has been because of the help of others, the, the, the ingenuity of others and bringing it together in the, into a collective to, to actually move the needle. Um, and the other thing I'll say to that is that, you know, you don't, you don't become successful unless others want you to become successful. So that is a dynamic when it comes to just even when, it, and I'm going to dial it into mortgages because, well, not just mortgages, but going in together in an investment, whether it be prop, a commercial property, whether it be a, a, an investment property, there is a power that comes when you pull um, uh, the, the, the skill sets and the abilities and especially the monies of others and you come together to be one. So um, when it comes to that, whether it's, whether it's, I mean, it's, you don't even have to be able to do it cash. Even if it's something that you're, you're leveraging or using other people's money debt to do that, it's still less of your own money that's on the line when you have other people involved. And I believe that beyond the initial investment of home, the, the, the mastermind component. I remember uh, some years ago when I started my journey of personal development, personal growth, uh, there was a book, Think and Grow Rich, that I read. And it spoke of mastermind, it spoke of getting around others that are, that are thinking the same way. And that was the key to, to, to explosive and, 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 and great growth. And later, uh, maybe a year or two ago, I, I read Think and Grow Rich, The Black Choice, which is kind of tailored to African-Americans. And the same dynamic kind of refreshed and came about. And I found it interesting because now I could see it from a different perspective. When I first started, I, I, it just sounded kind of foreign to me. But now, uh, so many years into the journey, I see, wow, this, they were right on it. Because the dynamic of pooling yourself for others um, for the sake of a, a, a goal or an endeavor is the best way to do it. because you now get the benefit of other skills, experience, and resources. And it expands the possibilities of what you can do, but it also limits the, 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 the impact on you on, 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 on the negative side. So absolutely, I think that that is something that we should be talking about more. Instead of, you know, we're big on sports and I'm a big sports guy too, but let's talk about ideas as far as possibilities. And, and, and get the people that know and look and discover, like, for example, if there's some information that we need to get as far as a next major business deal, it could be crypto, it could be uh, investing in stocks, but if there's five of us looking for that information versus one, who do you think is going to win? Those five looking for that information. That's a no-brainer. The same thing applies in being able to come together for, these, for, an, for an investment, whether it be a property whether it be whatever category of investment, um, I believe, Corey. Hey, this is Commissioner Scott. How you doing? Doing great. How are you? Doing great. Corey already asked this question a little bit, but for listeners that don't own a home at all and seeking to get approved for a mortgage, what financial tips would you give them to properly prepare for a mortgage loan approval? Like A lot of people don't understand what their credit, if they got bad credit, but some of the factors they can actually improve upon, like having their uh, credit utilization less than 30%, like tips like that, anything you could give them just to start digging into? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think when it comes to the credit dynamic, a lot of it is just information. And I think it, 
there is no real handbook as far as um, when it comes to your credit uh, score, because each each it's like a it's like a fingerprint. Everything is different. No no one credit profile is the same. But we do know that there are categories and parameters that we can begin to understand um, that determine our score. So uh, since a score is important, um, it's, but when it comes to also uh, those that are first time that trying to own a home for the first time it's not everything, right? So I wanna kind of let that, let that um, put that out there because many times I, I, what I get from clients is that they have their own notion and their own idea as far as what they need. Well, I'm, I'm gonna pay this collection off. Or I'm gonna do this when I'm ready. Instead of asking the person or the expert that can kind of gear you to that, um, that place quicker and, more, and, and, and in a more efficient way. So first thing I would say is I would talk to an expert. So talk to someone that knows about it, whether it be a credit counselor or whether it be a mortgage uh, professional like myself. Now for us mortgage brokers, we, we have what they call the envy of, of credit repair because, because of home ownership is so important to, to, the, to the government, they've given us a platform in which we can actually break down what a buyer or a borrower would need to bring their credit score to a specific position. Meaning if your score is at 550 and I put you through the computer, it would tell me to get to 620 or to get to 640, whatever the threshold is, it'll tell me specifically what you need to do to do that. And, and it's, it's amazing. But outside of that, to your, to your point, as far as what you mentioned, as far as credit, the five elements of credit, what are the points that really uh, affect your credit score. We know that credit history was 35% of the score. Uh, utilization, 30% of the score, right? Uh, credit age, 10% uh, of the score. The other elements as far as uh, the, the score component, it's important to understand what are those things that impact. I, what I see is that what you mentioned as far as utilization is where we are dinged most or people that are have credit issues are hurt most is because the utilization of the debt is, 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 is a high percentage. And you typically, you want the most optimum, optimal score as far as that 35%, you want to stay under 10%. Uh, the next range uh, as far as that is 30%. So those are the thresholds that you want to get to if you want to improve your score. But re realize that it, there, there, there are more components than just that when it comes to the score, which I would add this as far as this is not known or not, I think, utilizes, and this goes back to the element of teamwork. Uh, I many times I'm able to help other uh, borrow borrowers get their credit up and get their credit up dramatically simply by having them get with a family member or get with a loved one that trusts them and are willing to allow this to happen. But if they add them to their credit profile, by putting them as an authorized user on their card, all their information now gets transferred to them. So let's say someone had a, a low utilization, 5%, but they had high credit limit. You're, you, you have a credit limit of $500. And so it, in essence, they could take your utilization to like less than 30%, by, maybe even less than 10% by just talking and having a conversation with a loved one and asking them to make you an authorized user on their card. Uh, that's a strategy that even now there's a business, a big business on that. People buy trade lines from 
companies and are able to increase their credit in that manner as well. So there's, we all know credit repair as far as deleting items and taking items out. But I think little information is known as far as being able to add items to your credit versus deleting them. And then in my experience, I've seen uh, credit profiles jump dramatically, uh, more dramatic with adding items and just taking them away. So a lot of information there, but credit is huge. Again, that utilization component, you're absolutely right, but there are other aspects of credit that can help you. And I think is, you know, if you just take the information I'm giving you right now and go and Google it, it'll, it'll take you down the path of greater information. And also, um, and, and, and if you apply it, increasing your credit score. And thanks for that, because I know some, um, some young people are scared to even get credit cards, right? Because they heard so much negative things about them, but they need to understand that you got to get one. <laughs> so you had some credit card utilization as well. So, but thanks right. for those tips. So also credit. So just, I had a friend reach out to me. He's like, he, 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 he sold a property and he wanted to improve his credit. So he's, he was asking me about the collections report. And I said, what are you trying to do? I asked him. He says, well, uh, should I pay them the $1,200 that I owe? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. let's, let's, let's look at your credit profile and let's look, let's, let's be efficient in doing so. And I think this kind of highlights the mentality when it comes to dealing with credit. It's like we, we, every person, and, I, and I've been guilty of this before in the past, we believe if we do this, X, Y, and Z, this will happen to our credit score. But if the credit score is what you're after and, and, and you want to build it up, why not talk to someone that can uh, tell you and give you the roadmap to do so without you having to pay so many things off or to make sacrifices or, or payments that may be unnecessary. I think that is one of the things that I see too often. And, and really beyond that, I see that be an obstacle. Like it delays people because in their minds, they feel like I need to fix this right now. And I can't do this. I can't purchase this home. I can't buy this car until I fix this. And, and the answer many times is not. There's a way for that. There's a way to, there's a way to win but it is connecting yourself with another person that may know more than you uh, that, and, and, and that you can trust and they can begin to direct you. And this is the element of team, team dynamics too. Cause many times we don't open ourselves to others especially within our own community. You know, it's like, um, it's almost taboo. Some of the dynamics of credit can cause shame. And, this, and these are the things that we gotta kind of get over and speak honestly. Hey, if your credit is a 540, who cares? Let's get it to a 740. How do we do that? How do we walk? How do we begin to look and examine it at, at where it is? It's kind of like working out. The lower the score, that just means that it, there's a greater possibility to increase quicker. Uh, whereas someone who's at a 700, it's more difficult for them to get to a 740 and 800. But the lower the score is just an opportunity to, to get it up high, uh, quicker uh, and, and in a more quicker manner. So you, you got there's ways to look at it, but when you now hear the information the next component is believing it and actually work walking it out thanks man this sure. is this is james I, I i live in virginia and um i was actually looking into um me and my brother man um getting an investment home but i was um i was wondering how much capital do you think you need to have in order to um be secure about going into actually getting an investment home so how much capital do you think we need to have individually in order to 
kind of get the ball rolling with that. More than a dollar amount, I think, is you got to look at the percentages of what you're putting in that translates mm. to dollar amount, right? Because we have homes that cost different prices in different areas. So, for example, there's an investment deal here locally that it's um, that I'm, I'm working on. It's about $200,000 that, that the home price is worth. But the client has to come up with 25% down, right? So um, in that dynamic, I've been trying to steer to kind of look at the the broader perspective as far as if it because it's a, it's a two unit you know a two unit deal has a different uh, requirement than a one unit deal, so mm-hmm. you want to look at these these dynamics as how it how it affects how much money you have to come to the table with. Uh, mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think if it's something that you're you're loaning money you're getting money from or you're lo- you're getting getting a loan for. You want to try to put in as little money as possible there on, on, on the deal so that you can try to in, increase your cash um, uh, as far as your investment. Because the more you invest, the lower the amount of uh, that those rentals that you're getting, it's a fixed amount. The more you invest in it, the lower your yield is going to be. So you mm-hmm. want to try to try to try to really put as little as you can. And uh, usually that is that is a percentage. So. Whether, whether if your down payment is 10%, 15%, 20%, um, you can't change that. But there's also closing costs that comes into the, the equation. So, right. you, you know, you want to account for that as well. So um, when it comes to the deal, uh, you also want to have some reserves just in case, you know, you have to fix toilets, roofs, all these things. Depending on that, I look at it more as a percentage of what the property is and whether it's affordable for um, for the individuals that are trying to get into that, so uh, if it's a hundred thousand dollars, you look at it. if it's twenty percent down, that's twenty thousand dollars right off rent that you're gonna need. You might need another ten thousand dollars for closing costs. That's thirty thousand. All right, uh, maybe have another five thousand dollars for reserves just in case uh, repairs and or, 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 or the unexpected comes comes about. Um, when it comes to the you know when it comes to investing in a home, many people are are fearful to get into that because of the dynamics of collecting rent, uh, fixing toilets, that dynamic. But for me, I believe that these things are minimal, you know, and it can be resolved by thinking ahead. But Mm -hmm. to your question, as far as how much do you need, I'll see it more like a percentage as far as of the deal. Um, I think if, 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 depending on what your down payment is, and you're able to cover the, the the closing cost components, and you have a reserve on top of that, whether it be 5,000, 2,500, 10,000, um, those are the things that make a deal sound. Because um, just in case things occur, because you know one of the things when it comes to a rental properties, and this is from dealing with a lot of the individuals that do this often, you have vacancies, that's an issue, you know, not right now in our, in our mm-hmm. area because there's a housing shortage, but these mm-hmm. are issues that they, they, they have to deal with. Um, uh, finding a new renter to come in when they leave, fixing that the place that the old renter is leaving. These things, um, you know, a, a good friend of mine told me it's a rule of thumb is you got, you got to account for $10,000 in fixing that um, that place when, when, when you have a, a, a renter that's vacated the place. So these are things that the, those numbers are not fixed, but you want to at least have some type of understanding and accounting in that so that the worst case scenario you're prepared for. 
um, and, and can eventually win and not have to sell the property or exit out of the property prematurely. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, you know, I was thinking the same thing and I was because um, initially we were we were looking at, you know, uh, properties that we can get for under 100,000. And we were just looking at kind of like the margin of what rent is going for now in certain areas. And if we can get it to where, you know, our mortgage is only six, seven hundred dollars and we can, you know, at minimum get a profit of five to six hundred dollars by charging the tenant twelve to thirteen hundred dollars for rent for what it's going for right now. But um, but yeah, I was telling my brother, like we do have to have um enough capital to where if we don't have anybody in the home, we can definitely still take care of the mortgage and, and all those things. So I appreciate you, bro. I was kind of thrown off with uh, the mortgage dynamic because, you know, that's what I do, you know. And I, and I also got to explain and go a little detail as far as my perspective. I was a financial advisor before I became a mortgage broker. So I bring a unique perspective to my clients. Uh, it, I feel like I, I have a fiduciary obligation to kind of show them what their mortgage relates to their finances. Uh, for example, a few years ago when the mortgage rates were really low, just, just after COVID, I was encouraging a lot of my, um, my, my clients to refinance. Like money is cheap. You know, you, you understand what I'm saying? Money is cheap. The money that you're able to take out, you can invest in other places and get a greater yield for that. And you call that uh, being... Uh, uh, being being smart, having business. So there's so many elements of the game when it comes to the mortgages. Mortgages is a foundation that leads to other things. But in that, using uh, my experience as a as a, as a financial advisor, I see th- I've seen the game for some time, and it's I've seen the game let down people. Not say the game, just the investment game. It's like. It's a business. So I've seen people come in and not necessarily benefit from it. That's why I believe that I think it's important for us to have these conversations that like we have here in this forum uh, to strengthen our financial IQ, to strengthen our ability to, to discern and, 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 and read tea leaves and, and know what's going on. And I think there's no greater way to strengthen that when you address it as a team, right? When you have different people, uh, the, I think a few weeks back, you had the accountant that, um, kind of squandered his inheritance. That was just a dope segment. It really it really hit me in a very, very dope way because he spoke of budgeting too. And I was like, okay, well, sometimes you make a certain amount of money, you forget about budgeting. You're like, I don't necessarily, as long as I stay within this parameters, I'm good. But he, he recalled to me the importance of it, the importance of knowing your account or being accountable <laughs> to what comes in and what goes out. And even since then, it's like I've been, I've had that in my mind, but that speaks of the power of the collectivity, the power of someone being able to share. And now something that, that was dead to me becomes alive. And I think when it comes to this forum, I believe, and, and just, just when it comes to the invest, as we speak of investment, you know, investment is, is simple, right? Buy low, sell high, and you win, right? The thing about it is that. And I was sharing uh, with with Corey is that there have been so many different opportunities over the past couple of years since COVID in which you've had, there's been opportunities to double your money in in, in certain sectors. The thing about it is that we really are not aware. We don't know what's going on about them. Sector number one, we're crying about it all day long and really feeling the pain. That's 
That's oil. In April of 2020, the barrel of oil went negative, right? And it was, the prices were at the bottom of the barrel. It was an opportunity to invest, right? If you would have done so now, what, we're 120 a barrel, right? Just if you, <laughs> imagine that. If it, if it was $10 a barrel, right? But, we, but I'm telling you, it went negative. They were giving money to people to buy oil if you could actually store it, right? So that's just one opportunity. Housing, another, crypto, another. There have been so many different opportunities to do so. But I believe that I think it is, it is imperative to be able to discuss these things, get within a, a similar, like what you guys are doing, similar mindset. That has a power that grows. And I think as we start, as you guys start to not just be a part of this, uh, this forum, but actually start to live it, it begins to impact others. It begins to, to kind of like this silent energy that begins to shape the, the, the actions of others. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, how when you work out, I'm, I've been pretty hard on working out this this year. I really felt, I really hated where I was at the top of the year. And I was like, I made, I made a, a resolve to, um, to go to the gym every day. But I was looking through my pictures, the, the pictures of my friends, and like just two years ago, three years ago, and almost all of them are in shape now, right? So this speaks of the power, that silent power of being able to, to, to now be associated with each other, but also influence each other, right? And I think that's, that's a dynamic when it comes to money, because like I said, money touches everything. The greatest straws we can have towards equality and the greatest straws we can have as far as parity which you know is another another term for equality, is financial. A lot of the issues that we face in our our day to day, of course, race is involved, but a lot of it is financial. So we can now begin to 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 live and 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 make this something that is on our brains and and, and on our mindset, shape our mindsets collectively. I believe that we can begin to really set the foundation for what we're talking about: generational wealth which is another dynamic of it that, that gets, I, and I have to share this and I could open up some questions. It's like, we underestimate the power of life insurance when it comes to generational wealth. And again, this is my critique on the, the industry. The industry has a way of shaping psychology. Uh, for example, one of the things uh, when I was a financial advisor is that uh, what's popular as far as the setup of providing advice is on a model that, that, that is based on not fees, but getting a percentage of the balance of your client. So for example, if a client has a million dollars, you know, you might set a, a percentage of 1 125 basis points. And that's the model that is encouraged. But in that, what I found interesting is that it, in, in encouraging that, it discouraged, you know, other products like life insurance and, and other products that are, to me, substantial and, and have been proven throughout the years. And I share that to say that some of the products, for example, when I got into the business, it was right before the big recession or the great recession. Um, it, was, it was a couple of years before that. So I got to see how things were prior. I got to see how things were in and I got to see how things were afterwards. But there's this product called Target Date Funds. I don't know if you guys heard of it. So pretty much the, the you had an option to invest on a fund that targeted the date of your retirement. So uh, within it was built the mechanism to be aggressive while it was early 
and then kind of taper down as you as you get to a certain point and eventually get to more a more secure a position where your assets are not at risk. What I and this and this is an element for me as far as my I, I, you know I didn't I didn't give a little history as far as myself and my background. I mean, give the credentials, but not what brought me here. You know, as I, I was uh, always always obsessed with how money worked. I felt like I wasn't getting a full story and it put me on a journey. And the journey was to to not only learn it through school, but also learn it through to practice and, and dealing with, with others, other people's monies that had a greater experience than I did. But I was hoping to get the information that was, that you find it to be true. But I found out that the information given was not the real essence. And I had to go on that journey myself. So part of what I'm sharing here with the Target David Funds is part of the story of that, it not being the real essence. Because in 2008, uh, when we had that the crash, these Target David Funds were supposed to be secure. They were supposed to, uh, for those that were uh, retiring um, the following year, 2009 or what have you, they, they were supposed to not have the, the loss associated with them. But these funds, you found you have people losing as much as 30%, and even not, and sometimes even higher with these target dated funds, where, which were designed not to do that. What I'm saying in a, in a short phrase is that you have to watch your money. You have to be about your money. You have to procure and find it. Because if you rely on others to do it and to do it for you, you find yourself shocked. And that was a lesson for me because there was no apologies by them when someone's life savings that they were looking to retire the next year in 2009 and they had, uh, if they had 1 million, they had $700,000 less. I mean, 700,000 instead of a million. And these things impact whether you can retire or not. So that being said, to me, that was a valuable lesson in the journey as far as not everything that they say, not everything that they put forth is not, is, is, is not necessarily factual as it pertains towards the outcome. So you have to determine your outcome. You have to set your own sale. You have to get the information. And again, forums like this, I feel like it's a great thing in which it develops that muscle. So you're not just reliant on what's being told to you. And um, you're not just, uh, you're, you're, you're empowered to actually navigate uh, better for a better future in your family. One of the things I want to share too about, the, I guess, about this dynamic uh, as far as taking things into your own hands is things that I share with certain clients. You know, uh, I shared with you before, Corey, as far as the the lost 10 years, lost decade in Japan. Uh, Japan was the number two economy in the world um, prior to it being toppled or taken over. I believe it was in 2011, China became the number two economy and has been the number two economy since then. USA being a number one economy. So it was a it was a, a first world economy, a first world stock market. And in 1989, the Nikkei hit its peak. I believe it was like 39 or early, low 40,000s. And they call it the lost decade because it, it was they, they say it was 10 years in which if you had your money invested in that and you purchased um, uh, stock in the Nikkei, or index fund in the Nikkei at that at that threshold, that ten years it took ten years to recover and get that money back. But it wasn't ten years; it was actually closer to thirty years. 
but they don't publish it because I, I believe they don't want to put out the or publish the notion that a number two uh, economy or number two market in the world like Japan was uh, had that level of stagnation in which up to this day they have not met the 80 the the the, the number of what it was in 1989. Um, so these are things to consider as far as even for us, because if it, if it can happen to Japan, it can happen here. You know, it's 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 not a second world company country. It's not a third world country. It's a it's a first world country that was number two in the world, and they they experienced that. So when it comes to investing, I, I believe that those should be knowledgeable beyond what you're being told, because ultimately these things are bound to repeat themselves. And what we have is right now is a situation that was similar to what occurred in Japan prior to them going through this, that lost 30 years. Not to say that it will happen exactly that, but it was them kind of getting to a point where they had to stimulate the economy and then they had to, they had to contract it. And <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't find it funny, but it's interesting. What's funny is that we not necessarily listen to just what we're being told, but take the bull by the horns and really delve into the information and know what we're getting into, whether it's an investment on a property, whether it's an investment in crypto, whether it's an investment in bonds, whether investment in energy, whatever it is to understand it and know it so that it works for us instead of just relying on those so-called experts. Because I'll tell you what, the experts don't apologize when they're wrong. You know, you're from East New York, Brooklyn, um, not too far from where my grandmother lived, where I was every summer. So I just want to know, you know, you, you kind of got into how you got into finance. But I mean, coming from the background that you came from, the neighborhood, I mean, Brownsville, Brooklyn, for people who don't know it, had the most murders in the whole city. So, I mean, how did you go from that to where you are now, brother? I mean, I, I think um, one is I was fortunate, you know. Um, like I said, it's not just you in the journey. It's it's others that make it possible. I, I remember being a teenager at times and thinking to myself that I wasn't going to make it out of there because that's how that's how hectic it was. You know, it was it was it was it was it was very very active and, and not in a good way. Um, but one of the things that we saw living there is that you know it's it's in New York. So I went to school in downtown Manhattan. So um, my high school overlooked the Twin Towers. So I, I got to see that bastion of financial uh, prosperity uh, like every day, but yet I would go back to a neighborhood that wasn't like that. So I knew that there was a gap of information. I knew that there was things that I could be doing and they, that existed, but I had no way of connecting me to that. If, if I knew about how to invest, because this is before really the internet got big, um, um, as far as <clears throat> my time in New York, if I knew, if I had that connection, I would have, I would have, I would, I would have looked into it. I would have explored it, but I didn't have that offered to me. So my journey was one in which I could get the information, be able to understand, and be also be that bridge and connect it to others. So um, the contract, I believe that the journey is still ongoing. I think there is a lot of opportunity as far as time to kind of. Um, correct the scales and really, really make right the situations that that are wrong because of ignorance, because of uh, some elements that are intentional, right? As far as um, predatory lending, 
these dynamics. But I think that to me is done one client at a time, but also with forums like this, I could kind of bring the information to a broader audience. Um, but that's been my journey to, uh, I've always loved people. I've always loved money and really being able to bring those two together and have a better understanding of us, I think is my calling. I got one quick one, man. I'm running to a lot of cats. They got kids. They don't have any life insurance. Their kids don't have life insurance. And it's just not a good situation. For those listeners that don't have any life insurance, what is the most basic and inexpensive life insurance that you think they should set up for themselves and their families? Yeah, I think, you know, term insurance is the most inexpensive one. Um, for example, I have a term policy that I got in my 20s, right? I'm, I'm in my 40s now. Right. And, and that policy, uh, it protects me to my to about 62. Right? Okay. So when I look at it now, as far as paying that amount, it, it covers me for a million dollars, but it's minimal, right? If anything happens to my family, at least I have that protection. But it's better to do it when you're when it's early. It's better to do it when it's young. Because I was asked a question, uh, I was in a forum, and I was like, what, what, what do you do? For those that have pre-existing conditions, and I and, and and I gave them a visual. I said, like, "When do you prepare for war? Before what? Before the front lines, or while you're at the front lines?" Right. He said, "Well, before." And it is the same dynamic. It's like we have to start to kind of inform each other, but also encourage each other to to in, to adopt that mentality. For me. I was lucky because I, I was in the I was given information. I was in the business and I saw the importance of it. And right. to pay so little amount for that coverage because I got it when I was young, it's a blessing. Something happens to my family. You know, I've added more policies on top of that, but just to have that foundation is a blessing. And even now, when it comes to children, I mean, there is there is a real there's a term called infinite banking, right? And many we that that's another dynamic that I want, that we could have talked about and discussed as well, but. There's a power that you can use with life insurance. Life insurance is not just protection. Uh, you could actually develop a, a sense of banking, meaning lending money to yourself, lending money to your business, so many different dynamics of it. But that's really next level stuff. You know, it's not, you, you don't just start with that. So what I would say is just get, get developed. Like, you know, this, this would be my, this would be my pitch for those that didn't have life insurance. It's like, well, I'm looking to do this. How can you look at, how can you look to do anything if you can't, develop the muscle of putting money away for something that's good for you. How can you look into the investing and do you, you, the right temperament is when you become long-term, have long-term thinking. And when I look at those, uh, those, these, these associations of minds of people that are wealthy, they have, they share the same dynamics. They think the long-term, they don't just think about themselves. They think about generations ahead. So let me put this policy on, my grandchildren now, they're two, but guess what? They'll be 22 in a blink of an eye. And what's the difference of now with them being 22 and they have the money that is able to grow in that? And it's not just life insurance. It can actually pull cash out and, and do things with it. Um, it, it, becomes, it becomes a big, a big difference maker. And I think, I think we, we, because of, so this is, this goes back to the financial industry. They don't want to, they don't want to, us to know these dynamics because th these are the dynamics they use. Like, I'm not a proponent of this category as far as, but it, 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 there is a benefit to it. For example, annuities. They don't want, they, they tell you, oh, annuities suck and there's this and there's that. And they, they all, 
But when you look at, for example, Ben Bernanke, he was the uh, Fed chairman when we were going through the crisis. When he was being confirmed, he had to give up all his information as far as financials. And 50% of his assets was in, were in annuities. What does that tell you? What does that tell you when the Fed chief, <laughs> the person who is the, the premier mind in the economy has 50% of his assets in annuities? Well, he knows something that we don't. Well, when, I got a quick question, man. When you say young, right? How old do you have to be for a person to buy their own insurance policy? Is it 18 or what? Different carriers have, you could put life insurance on, on anyone, right? as long right. as that person. Right? But if, so, a, if a young person is just starting off, they just got their job and all that, and say they work at Walmart, but they, you know, they're 18, and they buy it for themselves, not having their parents buy it. Yeah. Okay. There, there's so much layers to it, right? Like, but I will start with that. Just buy insurance and have coverage. Okay. You know, like, especially for, you know, when it comes to black males and how the, 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 the black on black violence that we have. Imagine we had insurance, right? It's, it's cheap for people that are, that are young, right? Come on, a million dollar coverage for $20 something dollars a month, right? It's really cheap. What would that do if, how would that situation be different hmm. if we had insurance? I think they'll do their best to stop the violence if, if, if it was a million dollars a pop. Wow. That was, that, 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 that's paying out. Right. It would change it dramatically because, but beyond that, beyond the other side of it is, is that now you, you have that level of protection. But again, it goes back to encouraging that mindset and allowing it to develop that muscle and, 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 and grow from that. And I, I really, I really take great, greater joy in being able to do that collectively. Not, not if I'm doing it, sharing that with some, Hey, this is a place been working for me. Um, I could talk about the insurance now because this, I've been many years into my policy. And when it comes out, I don't even notice it because it, to me, it's that low, right? So I can speak on that personally. But again, it's like, okay, it took me years to get to this point. But others should know that too. It, how, what, when is the best time to get the, the, a policy? If you're a parent, get, get it for your ASAP. And as much coverage that you, they can afford because a term one, you know, they go up to 30, 40 years. Some carriers go up to 40 years in coverage. Things happen in life, you know, and, and, and really and truly, it is when you get older, it becomes harder to, to qualify for these, for, for greater protection. Just think about it. If you, you're paying $20 a, $20 a month, that's, two, that's what, $240 a year times 10 years, that's $2,400 a year. 20, 4,800, 4, right? You just start doing the math, 72. That's 30 years, 7,200. And if it's paying a million, 7,200 out, gotcha. early is better than later because they're going to tax you later. Okay. Appreciate that. Um, just on the mention of being a mortgage broker, how did you get into being a mortgage broker? What was the process for that? Yeah, so that's, that's a good question. I appreciate it. I was, I was waiting to hear from you, Kay. I was like, you're the only person in it. But anyway, to, let me ask, answer the question. It's really relationships. Um, so one of the things with, that I was getting tired of uh, in the business of, as a financial advisor was FINRA. Uh, FINRA is a, is, is the, is a self-governing body. It's not a regulatory agency like uh, 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 that comes from the government. They're a private regulatory agency that govern themselves. And pretty much they told the government, look, the SEC, we got this. But in, in that dynamic, they were, they, I mean, if I put up a video, they wanted to, they wanted to see the video first. It was just becoming too... I wasn't having any fun doing doing my work. So my my a friend of mine 
came with the idea to to open up a company, and he he told me he's like, hey, based upon what I know about you, you do really well in this. And um, you know, long story short, you know, we're going on four years now, Home Vision Mortgage. So four years strong, and you know, it's been quite a journey as far as I, I feel like when it comes to the the what what you're required to know and and, and the scope when it comes to a financial advisor is wider uh, and mortgages are incorporated in or knowledge of it are incorporated in um, being a financial advisor. However, um, the industry itself is not as regulated as, as uh, um, the mortgage industry as far as to that degree, as far as marketing and media and your, your communication. And so I'm, I'm having a blast sharing the information and really um, my, my take on this really and what, how I get business is, is really altruistic. You know, it's helping people out and giving them information and allowing them to see things that they probably never thought about or never saw before. And that's where, that's how my customers come to me. And I'm, I'm having a real good time doing that and, and, and really serving them because there's so much that is not known. And uh, when it comes to um, mortgages, I feel like I could fill that gap and tie it to the actual finances. Like for example, a friend of mine refinance pulled out hundred K. All right, what are we going to do with the hundred K? Right. Well, you're looking to build, to invest and maybe do your own business. Well, great. I can give a guidance on that because it's, it just doesn't relate to mortgage only. Uh, it's, it's a relationship dynamic that extends uh, without, as I tell my clients, I want, I want to be your resource for a lifetime. And um, part of that is continuing to get the information and be ahead of this, ahead of a, uh, the game and uh, knowledge wise to, to better serve my clients. What do you think is like the aspect I think of uh, like financial literacy or financial knowledge right now? That's like, that's like either the newest or just like the least touched upon that people, that people should know, or that you think that is information that people should get out there. There was a term that came across a few, a few months ago. And it was like, it said um, when it comes to being Functionally illiterate, right? And I think when it comes to finances, there is there is a, a similar dynamic like that. It's like meaning that you can read, but you don't read. But when it comes to finances, it's the same dynamic. You, you you can know about finances, you can know these things, but you don't really practice it. So what, what I think is greater than that, I think we miss out. And when it comes to these financial literacy, is developing a financial an, an appetite for these things, an appetite for application an appetite uh, or, or even the muscle to do so. I think that is something that we have to kind of find a way to, to transfer because if information is not exercised, it ain't gonna do any benefit. It's not gonna, it's not gonna sit, that's like dropping the seed in the top soil. You gotta let it penetrate and get underneath and, and, and do what it does once it gets underneath. And um, unfortunately, many of, the, many of the things as far as this, it's, it's just surface. Um, now, to answer your question, as far as element of literacy and knowing, uh, I think we this has been touched on several different segments. Is you know savings, the importance of savings, right? The developing the muscle of savings, um, whether it's you know investment, whatever, just taking some money, putting it aside, then repeat. Taking some money, putting it aside, and repeat, and and really out of sight, out of mind, in the sense of I think that is one of the things that is not really um, highlighted or even uh, kind of lauded enough. It's like, 
it's not really comp it's not really complicated. It's really simple, but it's so hard. You know, it's so hard. So um, those are the elements of financial when it comes to financial literacy. I think um, if, if I could say just one piece that that I think requires a great deal of focus. Um, what is your take on the current market as it is? Um, and then what would be your advice for when it's a good time to buy? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when it, it, that, that good time to buy is subjective. You know, it's um, to me, it's always it's always now, depending on where you are, as far as do you own a home? If you don't own a home, time is now. Uh, equity, being in an equity situation is better than being in a non-equity situation. Um, you know, and there's 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 different caveats and, and different uh, extremes of that. But in general, I think it's better to be in an equity situation versus a non-equity, meaning that you're making a payment towards your, not to someone else's um, <clears throat> home that they own, but your own. Um, however, we do we know that there are headwinds and the interest rates are real. The, the hikes, uh, I'm seeing interest rates as high as 7% and going towards, going towards eight. Um, earlier this year, we were still in the twos. So that, that it, it, it's a real thing. Nevertheless, that still highlights that people, are, it's not stopping anyone. It's not stopping, it may discourage some, but people that are really wanting and needing to get a home, they're looking, they're getting a home because at the end of the day, they're in control of their destiny when they own versus um, renting, which rent prices are continually increasing. And sometimes it's kind of heartbreaking what I'm seeing out there. It's like, it's, it's, it's people that are really pay, paycheck to paycheck to go from a 25% increase in one year. I mean, that, that, that's catastrophic to, to a budget. And um, I think when you own, that protects you from that. And um, so if you, if you own, you might want to watch and sit on the sidelines as far as the market, because I don't believe in buying high. Right now it's high and things do consolidate through cycles. But if you don't own, the time to own is now. Thank you very much. Conrado, you said something that was interesting, man. You said when you were younger, you used to look outside the window, you saw the uh, World Trade Centers up in New York, right? Yeah. So that exposure. When I was a kid growing up in Newport News, Virginia, man, I used to look outside my, my project windows and they were building uh, Interstate 664 and the uh, Norfolk Southern train system was always in our backyard, right? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, is there something that sparked us as a kid that, you know, maybe we need to put some type of exposure, sparking mechanisms too, be a book or something, uh, that really got you on this path, man, because you described it, it kind of sounded like the opening of a, of a movie or something. On that yeah. I mean, those towers are no longer there, obviously, but I remember being in, in a high school, we had a, it was, it was real close. I used to walk there often. So when, when the towers came down, it was something that really impacted me. Um, uh, it, it touched me because I was in and around that environment um, in my, during my high school years. Um, but I'll say this, you mentioned what you had had me thinking, you know, all these experiences have led me to at least do this. And that is talk money with my with my boys. They know about business. They know about taxes. They know about because we talk about these things when we when we go on our walks, and I let them know the difference between um, having your, having an LLC or corp, why a, you incorporate and why um, you choose the different options. That there is no set option, and credit 
all these things have led to at least that so that my my sons and, and, and my boys are able to have an advantage because when they go to high school, they're smoking the competition. They're, 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 they're way ahead of any anyone in that sphere because of that experience, you know, and it, that, at least for me, that gives me what I've been through and not knowing and trying to discover and to now be able to spread that to my, my, my boys, my sons, and, he, and he, well, my daughter, you know, girls are a little different. You know, my daughter, she didn't didn't have that the appetite per se to, to 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 really bring it in. But my my boys really are hungry to know about the dynamics of, of tax and uh, tax implications and, and, and credit and, and insurance and all these things. So when you asked that question, that was the image that came to my head as far as. Um, the things that we could do instantly. We could talk this, we could talk about this to our kids and, and really in a manner, and then it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be complex. Sometimes we feel like we have to be at a certain level to share. Share as you go. Whatever you know, share. Conrado Martinez, thanks for pulling up on Black Men Sundays. We appreciate you. You could have been anywhere in the world. You could have been in New York City. You could have been in Brownsville. You could have been in High Bridge, the Bronx. But you down here with Black Men Sunday showing love this Sunday. I salute you. I salute your information. The gems you drop. We got a lot of things coming up with Black Men Sundays. It's a movement. It's not just a podcast. Y'all wait till the fall. We we invading y'all schools. We coming down here. We bringing all the we bringing all the heat, all the gems. I mean, y'all heard last week, man. We got a principal about to teach y'all financial literacy to y'all kids. So I mean, the movement is real. Conrado, man, I salute you. Thank you for pulling up. Robert Brown, I salute you for pulling up a couple shows ago and bringing Conrado through because without you, there would be no Conrado. It would be somebody else, but Conrado's that guy, man. He had the information and the thing was hot. So Conrado, I appreciate you. Hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday and rest of your week, brother. Happy Black Man Sunday. Happy Black Man Sunday. Appreciate you. Bye. Check it.